Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Arsenal are kings of North London, Nuno and Oli are in hot water, Brentford are the new darlings of England and City took it to the bridge and won. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. So it's episode number 300, you must both be honoured and excited to be here. I was truly honoured, like a, a, a 300 reference there. What, the, the, the film 300? Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. Well, that game at the Emirates, it was a bit like the, the film 300, I guess you might say. I mean, I was actually going to spare you the pain of having to come on and talk about Tottenham again this week, Matt, but unfortunately we had to make a late substitution, so thanks for coming on and taking your medicine, I suppose. Oh, God, yeah, I have to face the music. <laughs> Let's start out the Emirates then, where Arsenal put Tottenham to the sword a, with a 3-1 win in the North London derby on Sunday. Uh, we'll start with Arsenal. I mean, I must admit, Alex, that I didn't think Mikel Arteta was was long for this world after that defeat at City before the last international break, but they've won three games on the bounce since then. Does this show that Arsenal were right to trust the process and do you think they've <laughs> genuinely turned the corner now? Um, yeah, I have to say I was, I'm in agreement with you there, Dan, to be honest. I think the last time I was on the podcast was the end of August um, and Arsenal just lost 5-0 to City. Mm. Um, and yeah, that it really wasn't looking good from that point. But I don't know, this win on Sunday, it, it sort of felt different, didn't it? I, I don't think I've ever seen the Emirates like that. Definitely not since Wenger left. Maybe not off the top of my head since Henri's goal against Leeds in the FA Cup. There was just like... I don't know, a palpably different atmosphere, I think. And um, yeah, that's sort of given me genuine anticipation that things might have changed, which I can't quite believe. Um, (laughs) Having said that, though, Arsenal, they sort of always beat Spurs at the Emirates, um, even in the bad times. Um, And I think they literally couldn't have asked for a sort of more submissive opponent than the one they got on Sunday. I mean, this... I'm sure we'll get onto it, but this Tottenham side were just appalling, jaw-droppingly bad in in this first half, especially. So, yeah, cautious optimism if I was a, if I was an Arsenal fan, to be honest. Yeah, well, well, Tottenham, Matt, I suppose they've gone in the opposite direction since that international break. Three defeats on the spin now, nine goals conceded, just one scored. I mean, where do you start with their performance in this game? Oh, it's just cut, copy and paste from <laughs> every single... Alex, Alex has nailed it there. Every single performance, I'm so... You're just expecting a Tottenham rant here, and I'll give it you because I'm sick and tired of watching it. I I can't. The the performance starts right. The players lose the second the bus pulls up to the Emirates. <laughs> the second they see the sign, they lose. Imagine Arsenal fans, right? And they've got every reason to to you know, like Alex said, it was a fantastic atmosphere from the Arsenal end. Imagine going to a football match where you know you've won. It's like going to see your favourite movie because you know how it ends again and again and again. There is no doubt in anyone's mind. I'd be psyched if I went to a football game knowing that my team would win. I'd be super happy. I'd make all the noise in the world because it just happens. And I, I can't. The performance was shocking, but it always is. I don't actually think that the starting eleven was too terrible. Um, I think it had a good balance between, you, you know, a 4-2-3-1, the defensive players. You had all the best attacking players. Um, you know, there was the the hope that Deli Ali would, would support the front three and dombele has got good creativity and Hoybier obviously balances out the midfield. Um, I don't really sort of blame the starting lineup. It's just something in Tottenham 
that they lose. They lost. They lost on the pitch. They lost before they walked into the stadium. The second that the last game, who did they play last? Chelsea, uh, Wolves. Sorry, in the League Cup. The second the Wolves game finished and Arsenal was next on the agenda, they lost that <laughs> very second. They've lost. They just, no matter which players, which manager, in all the years I've been watching Tottenham, which is almost twenty nine now, they just lose at the Emirates, and it, it's it's so predictable. That it, but it still hurts. <laughs> I mean, and I, I thought the first goal in this game really set the tone for the rest of the day, oh. didn't it? The defending was so bad. Eric Dyer just ball watching. I know the Arsenal fans obviously loved seeing Emil Smith Rowe scoring, but I just thought that was so poor. And, and Tottenham just never recovered from that, did they? The, but, you know, they've seen a lot of screenshots on on uh, on Twitter and stuff the last few days of the of the lack of midfield in this game, which was just kind of baffling. That that, that was it. That point, they they had the ball in midfield, and you thought get back, and then he played it wide, and then the ball comes into the middle and you think are you back yet nope you're still not there <laughs> smith throw all the space in the world it was just it was it was embarrassing it yeah, was embarrassing yeah. is any word for it what about nuno matt can you see him turning things around or, or does the fact that he was the you know well known that he was the fourth or fifth mm. choice for spurs mean he was kind of doomed from the get-go it was was it ever going to work out this appointment <sighs> i was hoping that it would but i think that was me being a bit naive and kind of well, you know, not even naive, just trying to get behind the manager. But you're right, if if that's a player who's a fourth or fifth choice signing in a certain position, you don't really have the highest hopes from at the start. Um, I think the problem here is, and it's certainly something that we saw with the hire of Mourinho, is that, that was, Mourinho was a big enough name with a big enough track record that the players sort of had to immediately listen and respect him. Um, because of what he's done. Whereas, no disrespect to Nuno, he can't sort of, uh, he can't fall back on a Champions League victory, a Premier League victory, a title victory, I mean. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? He can't sort of say things are bad, but I've pulled this around before, guys. Look at, you know, my intimate and treble or whatever. And I just think it's so difficult for the players to get on board with it when effectively, you know, this is, Nuno at the highest level he's ever been. So how's he going to take the club and some certain players to the next level as well? So I just think, yeah, he was always going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, what's your read? Like, on, go on, Alex. What I was going to say, what's your think, read on Nuno? Because I, 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 I must say I didn't rate him very much, very highly at Wolves, personally. Yeah, I think you've said it there, Dan, in the question. like The fact that Tottenham very publicly went through their Rolodex of managers and got rejected by five of them meant that this was always like a manage of marriage of convenience, really. I thought um, Jamie Carragher actually made a really interesting comparison on Monday Night Football last night, saying that this is like Hodgson at Liverpool. You know, Nuno, like Hodgson, is a good manager and he will continue to be a good manager, but he's just not right for this job. Um, I sort of disagree with Matt. I thought his team selection was way off from the start. The midfield was totally overrun. Hoiberg was just on his own in the middle and, Dom, and that's partly down to Ndombele and Ali just not helping at all mm-hmm. the fullbacks being so far pushed up so far and um, Tanganga just jogging back for the first goal it's really just said it all really um, and then just not being able to not change and being reluctant to change anything before, before half time just totally killed them um, I think the, probably the biggest nail in Nuno's coffin right now is that even the players who impressed in like the dog days of Mourinho Lloris, Hoiberg, Son 
they just don't look interested. Um, and I think that's what's going to get him the sack before Christmas, to be honest. Yeah, the, uh, the Deli Alley revival didn't last very long. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on that. That's, that's a whole other podcast about why he's one of the worst Spurs players I've seen in recent years. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, let's uh, let's lavish some more praise on Arsenal now, though, because I thought they were pretty excellent from from one to eleven. Essentially, I'll give you the opportunity, Alex, to single out uh, some players you think really made the difference for them well, in this game. Obviously, the two young lads, Smith Rowe and Saka, were exceptional. They've they've had praise elsewhere. Tommy Yas- Tom Tommy Yasu has been a really good addition since he came in. He's sort of everything you'd want from a modern right back, really. Um, but I really want to single out Aaron Ramsdale. I, it can't really be overstated to me how important a good guy goalkeeper is. I think we've seen it with Mendy at Chelsea, we've seen it with Emmy Martinez at Aston Villa. But a goalkeeper who sort of gives confidence to the rest of the defence and therefore the rest of the team is just invaluable. Um, I think it's probably it's probably a bit of a surprise when he moved from Sheffield United. You know, I didn't expect him to have this sort of impact, but he's brilliant. He's vocal, he's a good shot stopper. Um, he's sort of is really exude confidence, really, and that's that's gone out to the rest of the team. So, yeah, I don't think it's any coincidence that since he's come in for Leno, Arsenal have completely turned around. I think he's he's been the difference, definitely. Yeah, I don't think it's any coincidence that since Thomas Party started playing in midfield for Arsenal, they've looked a lot better either. Would yeah, you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, he's he was really impressive. I mean, yeah, like I said, I don't want to rain on their parade, but Tottenham were a very willing opponent. So it'd be interesting to see how how it goes in the next few weeks with people fit after the international break and things like that. But yeah, it definitely seems like Arsenal turned a corner. Yeah, Aubameyang looking pretty good again as well. His his best performance for them for, for a while. What about Harry Kane, though, Matt? I mean, watching him in 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 this game and you know in recent games, does he look motivated to you? Do you think maybe not doing a deal with Man City this summer is looking like it was the wrong decision? Yeah, I guess so. The only other um, avenue I, I could suggest, if if we knew, I mean, we Tottenham, Daniel Levy knew that he was going to keep Kane. He absolutely knew that he wasn't going to accept anything less than what he wanted, and that City weren't going to pay it. The only other thing he could have done was to get in a proper manager, but. Obviously, he tried and he failed. I am the first to back Harry Kane as long as I can, but I just can't for these kind of performances. And it, it really makes me wonder what, I don't know, you're a City fan. What do the big clubs think? What do you think? Do you think that's the kind of strike you want? The guy who just cannot turn up when it really matters? Is that who you want in your team? It's not a great look, is it? I mean, he yeah. he often makes a pretty poor slow start to the season. I thought he was pretty poor for England at the Euros. He's he's, mm. he's, he's looking off the pace to me. Mm. I don't know whether it is a question of motivation or fitness or what, but it's not looking like uh, you know City are going to go back in next summer and say, but, "Oh, go on, we'll give you 150 million for this guy." At the moment, is it really? But but this this is what I mean, and I don't obviously look. There's no doubt that I think he'll be better in the Man City team because they've got yeah. a better team. That's you know. Um, we're not being that ridiculous. But I just think if you were to sort of put on the table, you know, him up against a few other strikers, you know, can you make the difference in the big games? Are you there when your team really needs it? And the answer is no. Harry Kane is not there. He has not scored in any final or semi-final that Tottenham have played since he's been in the team in seven years. He consistently drops poor games against the big teams. Uh, the only team he plays against is Arsenal. Right, and most of those have been at home, um, and so I'm, I'm really wondering, sort of, at what point when he says, you know, oh, I'm I'm too good for Tottenham, you know, I should get a big move to City and win some trophies. Do, do Tottenham go around and go, yeah, go on then, you can try if you want. Your agent can speak to Man City, but no one's going to want you after these performances. So I really think that, that everyone could have done a deal in the summer, but 
at some point he's got to start proving it on the pitch. Yeah, I even thought that chance he missed in the second half was pretty poor here when he tried to sort of lob it past the keeper. I thought yeah, he really, yeah. really should have taken that chance. I just really, you know, it really kind of you could you could talk you could talk the talk, but after one poor season, you're right. Nobody's paying 150 million for him. Yeah, moving away from the North London derby now, then, and the other blockbuster clash of the weekend finished Chelsea nil, Manchester City one at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Uh, I must admit, Alex. I mean, we watched this game together. I told you before kick off that I thought of this game had two nil Chelsea written all over it. Were you as surprised as I was, not just with the result, but the manner of, of City's performance in this game? Yeah, I really was. Yeah, I said to you after the game, Dan, but I don't think I've seen City close out a game like this away from home against a rival for a long time I, I mean your memory is probably better than mine but I really can't remember a performance like that it, mm. yeah for at least a year maybe over I thought everyone to a man was just absolutely super Bernardo Silva seems amazing to me that City were even considering selling him in the summer that was, that was certainly what the rumours were but I thought he was brilliant in his deeper role um, as was Rodri who's always brilliant for them I thought the pressing done by the front four was world class um, an interesting front four with Gabriel Jesus out wide and Foden and De Bruyne sort of two false nines really it was yeah, yeah a really interesting system but it worked well and then the defence with Kyle Walker in particular and his pace I thought they just shut down Lukaku and Werner like no one has yet this season so um, I think a lot of people before the game like you were Dan saying now Chelsea the coming team and probably on course for the title but this was a bit, this city showed here just why they're champions and it was a real real marker laid down for the rest of the league I think I yeah. thought um, yeah they were they were superb really well yeah Joao Cancelo really good as well um, yeah. a few people said during the summer that maybe Foden and Grealish couldn't play together in the same team they, they look like they can play pretty well together in this game didn't they so yeah yeah I think yeah Foden playing in that false nine sort of with De Bruyne just off him I think that's a really interesting tactical development by, by Guardiola that, that and that to me well, looks like that's going to be their their favourite front four for the big games this season now. So yeah, tough on Mares maybe, and a little bit tough on Sterling. But yeah, they were they were brilliant. They really yeah. were. I also feel like Rodri's really really coming to his own as a City player now. They've conceded just one Premier League goal this season, only allowed six shots on target in the league this season, <laughs> which isn't bad, is it? Matt, yeah. do you think do you think perhaps we underestimate what a great defensive unit City are, and and perhaps how good they are without the ball as well? Um, yeah, probably because City usually have the ball. So it's yeah. usually kind of, it's a bit easier to focus on what they do with it. Um, but of course, so much goes into the shape that, that they hold without the ball. And I think, like you said, to get to get creative players, you know, to often kind of pitch in for the, for the whole, not necessarily defensive unit, but the team as a whole, so defending from the front and to do their work and to make sure that everyone's defending from back to front is a really, is, is something that really Guardiola should get a lot of praise for. Um, you know, I think they'll do it magnificently. We're recording this before the PSG game, so if they absolutely, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if those front three run right against City's defence, I'll look stupid. But I think, the, um, yeah, they really do need to get a lot of credit. Um, but I think obviously having very good players helps. Um, and I think Jao Cancelo is such. Uh, he really strikes me in that in the. I don't want to say he's as good as Philip Lahm. But being able to adapt and understand sort of different roles, both attacking and defensive-wise, really makes him a standout for me in, in the City defence. Yeah, the way the fullbacks tuck in really helps them, you know, shut down counter-attacks. There, there must be things that are, they only hear from Guardiola that you wouldn't hear from any other manager. And I think to take it on board, you know, might be difficult for a lot of players, but yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, I thought, I thought City's 
pressing and just the desire to win the ball back was, was mm. the key to this victory as well. I think that's something that often goes uh, a little bit under the radar, especially you now having bought all these great attacking players. It's actually yeah. it's actually their work rate that, that often gets them through uh, results like this. Um, a lot of people, myself included, were, were leaning quite heavily towards Chelsea as title favourites before this game. Has this result changed your opinion on that at all, Alex? Um, I still think Chelsea are going to be in contention come the final few weeks of the season. This That result hasn't really changed that, but... I don't know, I think the coverage from a lot of places over the past few weeks has been almost like City don't exist, really. Um, But this was, yeah, definitely one in the eye for that. And yeah, like I said, it's a a huge mark and it's going to be a huge like win for this squad going forwards. Rodri was sort of the perfect encapsulation of that at the end of the game. He was on his knees, banging the turf in celebration. So you could sort of, you could see how much it meant to the squad. But Guardiola had clearly built this game up before. So um, yeah, if they beat Liverpool away at the weekend it's going to be um, the perfect week for them really Yeah. Uh, do you think Matt Tucker was maybe a little guilty of, of overthinking this one maybe doing a bit of a Guardiola I mean they started this game with three <laughs> centre-backs two wing-backs and three central midfield is, is that overkill a little bit? Yeah I think just a little bit there, there comes there's almost a tipping point where you think how much do we want to worry about the opposition and how much do we want to do our own plan and put our own imprint on the game and I think he just went a little bit beyond that point of no return and focused a bit too much on what City are going to do or thinking about doing or could possibly do without really paying too much attention on how they could, you know, uh, impact the game at the other end. And I think, yeah, now that you mention it, it really does sound like they were just trying to crowd City out. Yeah, I don't maybe know. Maybe hoping on the counter. Partner in Werner up front with Lukaku again is gonna gonna work again, really. And yeah, no, I can't. Kai Havertz needs happening. to be starting in that team for me. I think, and I think they miss Mason out a lot in this game as well, Chelsea. I think you really uh, see what he he brings to the table when he's not there. The kind of yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm thinking of you know ball carriers like Kovacic, but. He's, he's a, a bit of a deeper player. I just think when it goes up to Lukaku and Werner, you've got to have someone a bit more bit more clever on the ball to keep it and a mate amount and habits definitely do that yeah that's four of the last five Premier League matches in which they've conceded first that Chelsea have lost now do you think that maybe suggests a lack in a bit of a plan B as well uh, yeah probably but I think it's because they sort of rely on plan A to work which I think it will <laughs> do uh, the majority of the time I think um, you know that that talking about with Alex there changed their opinion <sighs> I still think they're going to be better than 90% of the teams for the rest of the season. Yeah. It's just yeah, that they've run yeah. into someone equally as good, if not if not better. Yeah, this might prompt a bit of a rethink from Tuckle as well. They might, they might uh, come back stronger from this one. You, you don't yeah. know. It's, yeah, it's going to be a competitive season, isn't it? Uh, this was Pep Guardiola's 221st win in charge of City. Meaning he's now won more games than any manager in the club's history, uh, even more than Stuart Pearce. Uh, his, <laughs> his win rate since coming in is 72.9% in all competitions. He's won 10 domestic trophies now. Um, some people still point to the fact he hasn't won the Champions League with City, but he's done a pretty exceptional job, I think it's fair to say, hasn't he, Alex? Yeah, anyway saying differently clearly doesn't know what they're talking about um, I mean City were a good side before him but he's turned them into a great one hasn't he I yeah. think yeah that battle with Liverpool three seasons ago the Centurion squad winning the title last season and getting to a Champions League final all amazing and I think he's just consistently made every player in that squad better um, I know obviously people will remark on the money spent as they always do but if it was that easy Man United would have won something in the Solskjaer by now so um 
Yeah, Pep might need to rein in some of his press conference comments now and then. But um, <laughs> yeah. other than that, I think he's been the perfect manager for City. Yeah, he's just he's got so much out of this squad. He's been exceptional. Agreed. Uh, well, over on the other side of Manchester on Saturday lunchtime, United were beaten 1-0 at home to Aston Villa. Even before this match, we had a question from Carlos Lopez via email who says, how much longer do you give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager of Man United? If he doesn't win anything this season and if he does get the sack, who replaces him? Any thoughts on that, Matt? Um, yeah, I was actually watching uh, the game with a couple of United friends and that was the question, was who replaces him? I just think now, who, who out there, aside from Antonio Conte, is out of, uh, out of a job? Who's going to come in and replace him and potentially do better? I think, of course, Oli should have won something. Um, could have done better in the Champions League last season. Uh, could have, you know, especially with the money they've got and what they're spending, given the... The, the eventual champions in the last few seasons a bit more of a title race. But I also think it... I guess Manchester United have been so good for so long, certainly kind of our generation growing up. But I would think it does a bit of an injustice to assume they have to win something. It's not that easy. You know, you're in the Premier League where you've got at least three or four other teams who are not only going to give you a good game, but going to give you a good run in most competitions. I mean, it's not like... They're outspending the rest of the league and, you know, it's a two-horse race every year, like maybe in some other leagues, not to, you know, knock them down or anything. But, yeah, it's not really, you know, if he doesn't win anything. I mean, only one manager wins the Champions League per season. Mm. So, you know, it's, I, I, I think it's a little bit harsh to say, oh, just win something. But obviously, given the, the size of the club and everything they have, they they got to win something soon. I just, I just don't know who would replace it. Yeah. I really the, can't think of anyone. But the ultimate barometer for a manager is making players better, and he hasn't made a single player in that Man United squad. Oh, okay, so I'd argue. Yeah, um, okay, I, I'd argue with that. True, to be fair, but again, who would you replace him with? Cristiano Ronaldo, Conte, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure Conte's style suits. But isn't that the point? Isn't that why it would work? Because Conte, everywhere he's gone, has turned. Club that club into a winning club, and I think that's what Man United want, isn't it? I yeah. think I don't know. I yeah, I just think he's there. Why don't you go and get him? Yeah. I mean, I think to be honest, I would wouldn't be surprised if Pochettino's there next season. I, I can't see him lasting this, until next season at PSG, and I wouldn't be surprised if Man United went for him. But I think they've got to do something because they're not going to mm. they're not going to be any closer to the title with Solskjaer as manager. Well, I saw a few comments on Twitter after this game saying Solskjaer's made United a lot better than they were when he took over. I mean, you sort of touching it there, Alex. Has he? Um, From where I'm standing, it looks like they've just invested in some pretty good players during his tenure and and improved almost by default. Is that too unfair? I think if we sort of, in a few years' time, if we look back on the Solskjaer era... It sort of he's undoubtedly been the man that sort of steadied the United ship. He's like got them back on a bit more of an even keel, and I guess he has made fans believe again. But I don't know. I think this match and countless others over the past year, eighteen months, have sort of proved that he's taken them as far as he can. Really, there's no there's no discernible style. There's no obvious way that they want to play. Like like I just said, no player, maybe Luke Shaw aside, but that's because Luke Shaw was so battered by Mourinho that it was difficult to get any worse under it. <laughs> it's sort of no player has got better under his under his uh, management. They've spent a huge amount of money trying to get here. Um, and I just, I, you can't tell me that Antonio wouldn't come in and make, and make them better and win something. I just, I think he would. And I think, honestly, I think a lot of other, probably five or six managers in the Premier League would come in and do a better job than Solskjaer. So, 
he's undoubtedly a nice bloke and yeah like i said he steadied the ship but yeah i think it's time to sort of yeah cut their losses really and admit they could take nuno if they want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if he wasn't such a club legend, he would have been sacked a while ago, I think, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Give David Moyes another chance. Why is no one ever <laughs> suggesting that? <laughs> uh, Aston Villa's winning goal here was a cleverly worked set piece finished off by Courtney Howes. How, Hawes? How, I don't know how, how you say his name. Let's say Howes. Uh, was this one in the eye for people, Matt, who, who say that set piece coaches are a waste of time, or, or is the Villa one doing a great job there? Or, or do you agree with uh, Match of the Day's Jonathan Pierce that teams need to go back to the good old days of putting defenders on the post? oh god yeah it's so kind of uh, easy to just point it and be like ah i told you set pieces coach are great <laughs> I, i'm really trying to think of how did people score from set pieces if there wasn't any coaches back in the day and why did we stop coaching them yeah or maybe they just became such a specialized subject um i really don't know i was kind of looking just as the corner was being taken and thinking this is down to um, Villa having bigger and more aggressive players and I think whether or not you, you're trying to coach that or whether there was a United coach trying to you know put in some defensive actions the Villa players just wanted it more and I think once once you've decided that you've wanted it more once you're more aggressive when attacking the set piece it doesn't really I'm not saying it doesn't matter but I'm not sure a set piece coach is going to make it any better or worse like if you want to head can, the ball when the corner comes in sorry Matt can someone <laughs> though explain to me why um, Ollie Watkins wasn't I was going to ask you this actually Alex yeah. yeah why how is that not given when I'm thinking of um, Harvey Barnes against Harvey Brighton. Barnes against Brighton yeah, 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 yeah. two were given I, I really don't understand that at all I can't understand that that's the that lack of given. consistency that annoys me yeah Totally. He's, block, was, he's blocking De Gea's view, wasn't He's blocking it? him, and it's yeah. so blatantly obvious. I sort of can't believe it wasn't given. But he did, yeah, didn't physically go. block him, but the very no, fact that he's there kind of yeah. means he has to be offside, surely. It's exactly, a pretty yeah. simple way to apply the rules yeah. from, from where I'm sitting, yeah, but never mind, eh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, United had a good chance to score a late equaliser from the penalty spot, but Bruno Fernandes, of course, remarkably blazed that over the bar. Do you, <laughs> do you reckon Emmy Martinez got inside his head, Alex? I think he might have done, yeah. It was, um, I don't know, it was one of the moments of the season for me so far. I absolutely loved it. It was mm. just some uh, pure shithousery from a from a goalkeeper who uh, I really, really like. And like I said about Aaron Ramsdale earlier on, I just think it shows you how valuable a goalkeeper, a good goalkeeper is to a team. Um, yeah, he's been brilliant since he came from Arsenal. He sort of changed, helped change that team last season. And um, yeah, just, yeah, he's just a really good goalkeeper. And he clearly, clearly got in Bruno's head. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. Apparently he said, uh, Cristiano, you should take this. This Bruno guy is going to miss it. <laughs> this Bruno guy. <laughs> <my God. laughs> Love it. Uh, Bruno, of course, took to Twitter, as people do, on Sunday, Matt, uh, with a 300-word apology for missing that pen. What, what do you make of all that, this kind of apology culture that seems to have crept into football? If, if they had a set-piece coach, you would have scored it. <laughs> um, uh, I think this is a bit too far. I mean, you know what, mate? It was terrible penalty. You blazed it over. Just take the next one and try and score. I really wouldn't... I don't see the need for an apology for absolutely everything. I mean, he didn't do something out of the ordinary. You know, it was... It's, it's a football match. It happens. You miss chances. You know, you missed a big one. Um, I'm not quite sure. Who, what, what's that apology changing? Yeah. Like, if you think that Bruno's walking away happy as Larry, then you don't quite know football. Like, I'm sure he's gutted. I don't really think he needed to do that. I mean, it's nice for the United fans, but yeah, I'd rather just um, put your energy into the next penalty and, and score it. 
Will he be taking the next penalty? Well, no, he definitely won't be, will he? <laughs> I, I honestly think it'd be one of those things where, in a show of solidarity to get him back yeah. on track, Ronaldo will let Bruno have the next one. Oh, yeah. interesting. And if he misses that one, so. he'll never play for the club oh, again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then, then he better get to WordPress instead of Twitter. This was Villa's first win at Old Trafford since 2006. They've now kept clean sheets against Everton and Man United in their last two games. Alex, would you say switching to a back three has been pretty key to those results? Um, yeah, I'd say it's definitely played a part. I think um, Courtney House has slotted into that back three system pretty well and that has subsequently allowed Target and Mike Cash to get a bit higher at the pitch. Um, but then you could see on Saturday that they they sort of flooded the midfield and that and allowed Aaron Wan-Bissaka to have the ball. And I think that's really smart coaching from Dean Smith, actually. They, they've sort of seen a weakness in Aaron Wan-Bissaka and in, in his passing and, and um, they sort of, yeah, they've played on that. And thought, yeah, like I said, that's really, really good coaching from him. I really like Ings and Watkins up front. They're one of the few sort of teams that play well with two strikers up top and I think that I think Ings ran more than any player in the Premier League this weekend. From what I read, his wow. pressing from the front was um, yeah amazing. So yeah, they've really got something going this season. They spent their money really well, and um, yeah, I really really like Villa. Really, really yeah. proper club, proper club. Doing <laughs> yeah, John, well. John McGinn's in really good form at the moment as well, isn't he? So yeah, it's been pretty important yeah, to them. Uh, possibly the best game of the season so far took place at the Brentford Community Stadium on Saturday evening, where Liverpool were held to a three-three draw. How would you analyse this one from Liverpool's perspective? Perspective, Matt. Should it be considered two points drop given they were three two up, or do you just kind of hold your hands up and say it was a good game? We'll we'll take a point and and be happy with that. Hmm. Uh, it is two points drop from Liverpool's perspective. I think they you know have ambitions of winning the title and winning every single game. To be honest, so it is two points drop. But I don't want that to take away from what Brentford did because that was an incredible game. And I, you really, it's it's odd to think that especially when Liverpool go ahead a few times, that the opposition's always got a chance of getting back in it. But it felt like that with Brentford. And they, they really, really stuck at it. And I just think it it's going to become, because of that result and obviously the Arsenal result the first day of the season, I, I'd put my money on a few bigger teams also stumbling yeah. um, going to Brentford as well, for sure. I, th- I think they really, especially at home, look up for it. And they've got some decent players who could do some damage as well. So yeah, I was, I was really impressed by them. Yeah. Are you... Bit worried about how Liverpool are defending this season, maybe. I mean, Klopp was down to the bare bones last season. He's been able to rotate his defence a lot this season. Has he almost got too many options, though? I was thinking that. I don't know why. Um, so, so Matty from Van Dyke Green, right? Canate wasn't. Yeah. Really right. yeah. I'm not quite sure, sort of, where, even if he knows where he stands on the defenders. I don't. I think Matip's a good player. I would hate to think that Klopp sort of doesn't play Canate and Van Dijk because he wants to reward what Matty did in previous seasons. And there's a bit of, um, what's the word? Not nostalgia. Um, you know, when you sort of, he, he, he's got a lot of credit in the bank from yeah. previous years. So he keeps him in the team when really Klopp should be putting out the best 11 every single match at Liverpool have got. Um, obviously you can rotate it if players are tired, but I think especially at centre-back, he's seen himself how key a centre-back partnership should be. Um, so being, you know, what are we in all competitions, eight, nine games into the season and not having a solid idea about who your best back four is, is maybe a little bit worrying. 
Yeah, we were watching this game with Joel on Saturday and he was saying that he reckons Matip and Van Dijk is the best partnership at the moment, but I don't think rotating helps too much in that yeah. position, does it? I think you need to be settled on it. I think maybe when Joe Gomez is fully up and running, we might see him and him and Van Dijk oh, yeah, getting that partnership back together. What does that mean for Canate, though? They just signed him. For yeah, maybe million. he's going to have a little bit of a bed and in season. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, is it? Um, mm. It's Nat Phillips I feel sorry for after oh, after his yeah, exploits last season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stick my neck on the line here, Alex, and say Brentford will survive comfortably this season. Are you are you with me on that one? Yeah, 100. Um, I think just on the strength of their home form alone, to be honest, I think they'll be absolutely fine. Um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that there's three teams in this division that are worse than Brentford. Um, but I don't know. It's, Honestly, I don't think Brentford are the sort of club that will be looking down. They're going to look up and sort of finish, try and finish as high as they possibly can. Um, I don't know. And on this evidence, I think they could probably finish in mid-table and do it pretty much at a canter. I, I don't know. I think they're just a complete breath of fresh air to this league. Proper community club. They're doing everything the right way. They've earned their success after you know hard slogs. I remember being at Oxford and going uh, and being there, um, getting eggs thrown over from the <laughs> gardens for like um, a lot of near misses in the playoffs. So um, yeah, it's it's really good to see. I really like you know, the fans. Really loud little stadium. Thomas Frank's great. Yeah, they're, they're just a really good club. To have the feel-good story of the season already, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah. How important would you say uh, goalkeeper David Rea is to the way they're playing? David Sprayer, I've heard him call his <laughs> yeah. uh, passing ability. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's sweeper-keeper in sort of the purest sense of the word, really. And he's really good with the ball at his feet. I mean, as we saw on Saturday, he's a brilliant shot stopper as well. Oh, yeah. um, I think he's, and he's had a really interesting career up to this point as well, actually. He was born in Spain, played for the Cornea youth system. Um, and then Blackburn spotted him when he was 18, brought him to Lancashire. He spent a year on loan at Southport, which, um, yeah, fair play to him. Um, <laughs> and then as and since signing for Brentford in 2019, he's been their first choice. And yeah, one of the first names on the team sheet in the Premier League. So um, yeah, really, really good keeper. And one of just a number of players that they've got who's just immediately slotted into life in the Premier League. He's been, um, yeah, he's been great. Yeah, Southport is the Barcelona of the North, to be fair. So I can understand Mohamed Salah has now scored 100 goals in 151 Premier League games for Liverpool, which isn't too bad, is it? Uh, Matt, if you were to pick an all-time Liverpool eleven at this point, do you reckon Salah gets into it? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it'd be quite difficult to pick an eleven, certainly with the strikers Liverpool have had, but yeah. after that kind of record, it'd be extraordinarily difficult to, to think of a reason why not. Um, it'd probably be down to no fault of his own, just other good strikers in this potential eleven. Mm. But but yeah, it's just ridiculous. Is he a Premier League great for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's joined the Hundred Club. He's got a Premier League winners medal, Champions League winners medal in that time in the, in the Premier League. I, again, I'm trying to think of a reason why not, but I can't. I think he's he's fantastic. Yeah, we just don't know if he can do it on the wet Wednesday at Stoke, though, do we? That's the, that's the <laughs> yeah, we've got to wait till they get promoted. Leeds are still waiting for their first win of the season after they were beaten 2-1 by West Ham at Ellen Road on Saturday. I'm seeing some rumblings, Alex, that Leeds are going to do a Sheffield United this year. Can, can you see something like that happening or are they going to be okay when they get some of their injured players back? Um, I'm not sure I can see it being that bad for them this season, to yeah. be honest. Like I said with Brentford, I think there are definitely three worst teams in Leeds in the Premier League right now um, I'm, I don't know about the injuries to be honest I think this team at the weekend was probably about as good a team that they can put out right now I think it might just be a case of the things that went for them last season probably have so far conspired against them this season 
bit of sort of opposition managers working out the small details and you know how to beat be able to teams and then I think getting new players to fit into their system it always takes a bit of time to bleed as well um, Dan James obviously is going to it's going to take a while to sort of fit in. I thought Junior Furpo was really bad at the weekend. Yeah, I'm not um, impressed with him at all so yeah, far. Yeah, I just sort of wonder how many more opportunities Bielsa's is going to give him, to be honest. But um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, last season everything went for Leeds and they probably finished a bit higher than you would have imagined. And maybe this season it'll be a bit sort of regressing to the mean. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if they go down, to be honest. Yeah, me too, yeah. Do you think, Matt, they could have done with signing some more players this summer? I mean, Bielsa liked a small squad, but do you think... Uh, Maybe him leaving it a bit too bit bit late in the in the window to sign his contract created a bit of unnecessary uncertainty at Ellen Road. Um, maybe not. They know that he does the one year sort of rolling thing, um, and it didn't really look like he he was going anywhere else. I think we spoke about this maybe last week or last time I was on, thinking they could have signed another defender. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they just needed to add one or two more players just to continuously improve. I know they had such a good season last year. And it'd be quite easy for them to think, well, second year in the Premier League, you know, we're probably going to uh, avoid relegation again. Um, and I just think they could have been a bit more ambitious, sort of in the way that Aston Villa were. You know, coming up and getting seventh is good, but why stop there? Why not add more? Why not, you know, really try and prove the squad? And I, I feel for him because I think in some ways, I don't know if he does this particularly, but a lot of managers have a little bit more leeway to the players that have gotten them where they are. Yeah. Um, especially when they come up from the championship. And I don't want to sort of call out names, but I think Cooper and Ailing at the back have been brilliant for Leeds, come up from the championship with them, help them stay in the Premier League, this, that and the other. But are they going to take them to the next level? Or is it too harsh to just buy someone in and replace them and go, thanks for that, lads, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the bench? Yeah, yeah. They remind well. They reminded me last season a bit of, of Man City when they came up under Kevin Keegan, and they reminded me a bit at the moment of Man City's second season in the Premier League under Kevin Keegan. So, uh, hope for their sake that Marcelo Bielsa lasts uh, a bit better than Keegan does. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a pretty disappointing season for them the way mm. things are looking. But yeah, I don't, I don't see relegation on the cards for them either. No, just yet, they're anyway. not that bad. Yeah, uh, good win for West Ham. They bounced back really well from that unfortunate defeat to Manchester United last weekend. Alex, you think David Moyes has shown some of his previous clubs, i.e. Manchester United, what might have been possible if they'd given him a bit more time? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think <laughs> in all of his previous sackings, it was the right time to go. You know, he's doing an amazing job at West Ham, but that doesn't mean he was doing a good job at Man United, Real Sociedad and Sunderland. You know, mm. it just it seems to me like Moyes and West Ham are the perfect fit, really. I mean, I, I said it last season, but I think they were one of the few clubs that were helped by playing in empty stadiums. Um, the small mistakes and those like silly losses at the start of last season meant that the fans couldn't get on their backs immediately and it meant that they could sort of bounce back, gain a bit of momentum and then obviously they finished last season brilliantly and now they've sort of been riding the crest of that wave. Um, But they're just, yeah, they're a really well-coached team. Everyone knows their jobs. Antonio's in the form of his life. Jared Bowen's been absolutely brilliant. He played three games in a week and he looked looked as lively as he did in the first game um, against Leeds. Yeah, I really like him. He's a great player. Deccan Rice is obviously brilliant. Um, the new players that they brought in have sort of done, sort of settled in pretty well as well. So the couple of the Czech lads. So um, 
yeah, they were just a really, I don't know. Last season, I thought it was a fluke. It's definitely not, is it? They're, oh. actually, they're actually a really good team. So, yeah, fair play to Moyes. Looking pretty solid in the Europa League as well. Fair play yeah. to him, yeah. yeah. Uh, Antonio scored his sixth goal of the season here. He's never got more than 10 in a season before. Are you backing him to set a new personal best this year, Matt? Uh, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> if he keeps up any sort of form like this, yeah, no doubt. I think he's going to be very key to how West Ham play. His, his assists as well. Um, he's got a couple this season too. Mm. I just think he's great. And the thing about him, he loves to have a laugh, plays with a smile on his face. I really enjoy watching him. Yeah. But even even like he didn't play particularly well on Saturday, but sort of still ran his you know ran his ass off and mm. you know, was pressing from the front. And just, you know, it was a bad, the goal was actually a bad first touch from him. But <laughs> They always are. <laughs> yeah, it went for him and then the finish was really good. So yeah, that's the sign of a striker just in total, you know, red hot form, total confidence in his own abilities. So yeah, long may that continue. For yeah, him. It reminds me of what we used to say about the rise of Vassell, that his second touch is a tackle. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I think he's a bit better than Vassell, to be fair. Yeah, to yeah. Slightly, yeah. <laughs> That's doing him disservice. Well, there are probably still quite a few goals behind Vassell. I'd have to look that up, but yeah. yeah. I bet, uh, got a long way to go before catching up with him. Leicester are without a win in their last three Premier League games after they were held to a 2-2 draw at home by Burnley. It's their worst start to a season for five years. That's now 10 goals conceded for them this season. Uh, we said a few weeks ago that they perhaps need to play two up top. Do you think switching to a 3-5-2 might make them a bit better at both ends of the pitch, Alex? Yeah, I think that would make sense, honestly. I think a back three of Soyuncu, Vestergaard and Evans with Castagna and Pereira bombing forward, that's a really good defence. And yeah. I think... I guess the only downside from that would probably be your width is coming from the wing backs rather than like the wide forwards. And I mean, Barnes and Lookman have probably been their two best players or best so far, apart from Vardy. But I don't know, the big thing for me really is why is he and actually not playing? I'm not mm. really sure what's gone on there because yeah, he was, he was amazing last season. Um, and I guess that's some Packer probably hasn't had quite the impact that they would have hoped for in the, in the first few weeks. So, um, I don't know. I'd, I'd trust, um, Rogers to get it right eventually, but. Yeah, it's a bit of it is a bit of a worry their form at the moment. Yeah, well, the home fans were booing Rogers when he brought uh, mm. James Madison on for Luckman in the second half. Madison has been pretty poor this season. Do you think, think Leicester are missing that spark that he used to bring, Matt? I'm just waiting for you to get the fraudometer out for Rogers. <laughs> <It's> out. <laughs> yeah. I'm plugging it, it in as we speak. Out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually think so because the, the Madison has been poor, and, and Luckman's one of these players who really can provide that spark. Um, you know that, that they used to have a Madison, and you, uh, it's it's a difficult situation because you're really, really hoping that someone can do something, basically, and you know taking off whatever Lookman brings to the game and hoping that Madison will you know kind of turn things around. I think there are some players who are affected by the team's form, and there are some players who, if the team's playing badly, they can sort of pick themselves up and still. Um, you know, let themselves shine in a bit of a poor time. And Madison looks to be one of those players where he needs the team to be on song and he's not quite able to to drag a whole team through through a tough period by himself. But yeah, like Alex said, Lookman looks has looked like one of their best players. So mm. at any point in the game, it's a bit of a shame to bring him off, especially for someone who isn't a like-for-like replacement. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Spark, Burnley look like they've got uh, a bit of that in Maxwell Cornet, who scored a great goal to open his Premier League account here. Do you think having him on the left and Dwight McNeil coming in from the right could have a transformative effect on Sean Dyche's side, Alex? Yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the more interesting signings from the summer, to be honest. Mm. I think 
he's got really good pace. He gets at defenders, um, as we saw from the weekend. He can finish. His delivery from out wide is usually pretty decent too. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a really smart signing from them. And I mean, it really shows where football is in 2021, doesn't it? A former Champions League semi-finalist having to sell one of their best players for 15 million <laughs> to Burnley. Um, but yeah, like you say, him and McNeil on either side with Chris Wood in the box. That um, yeah, that's that could do some damage to a few teams this season, I think. Yeah, Burnley is the Leon of the North, by the way, so I can see why he's gone there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the cuisine. Exactly. The food, yeah. the food capitals of Europe. <laughs> uh, Everton continued their fine start to the season with a 2-0 home win over Norwich. That's the first time since 1989 they've won their first three home league matches of a season. Uh, the home form was shocking under Ancelotti last year. What do you think uh, Benitez is doing, is doing right that Ancelotti was doing wrong when it comes to Everton playing at Goodison, Matt? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I just think that, I mean, okay, firstly, I think the fans is definitely helping. Yeah. Um, uh, having them back at Goodison Park. I don't know. I, I really trying to sort of put my finger on it. I know that they've made a few good signings and it looks like Damari Gray especially is having a really good impact. Maybe Benitez is keeping it a little bit more simple uh, in certain areas. But also from, you know, even from his time at Newcastle and obviously his time at Liverpool, he is a fantastic coach. And I don't know, I don't want to, you know, disrespect Everton too much here, but I think maybe Benitez is suited to this level a little bit more, understands the Premier League a little bit more. And it might have been that Carlo Ancelotti's ideas and tactics, the way he was playing, might have been a, a level above what Everton players were capable of. Um, so maybe Rafa Benitez is a bit more, you know, he's a bit more aware of, of what of what the players need and the kind of direction that they need in training and in games. Because again, don't want to disrespect Everton, I think they're a great club, but that is by far Ancelotti's lowest profile job, let's say, yeah. you know, of the past however many years, 15, 20 years. So I don't know, maybe it was that. It's difficult for me to pinpoint, to be honest, without too many changes in their side. I think, let's be fair, the the fixture list has been quite kind to them as well. Yeah, there's that too. Southampton, Burnley and Norwich are three Mm. games you'd be expecting to win at home, really. But they drew with Leeds away. They won away at Brighton, which is quite a good result. Um, But then lost lost at Villa last week and got beat uh, on penalties at QPR. So a bit of work for Rafa to do, but a good Mm. start. Uh, Andros Townsend has has now got seven goal contributions in seven starts for Everton. How surprised have you been by how well that signing worked out so far Alex I'm really surprised actually um, I think there were times last season when you could probably forget that Townsend was even at Palace and it, I don't know it just sort of looked for a while like I don't know Premier League football was sort of passing him by a bit but um, yeah I guess the season's form it shows you how valuable manager is that trusts you as a player and obviously Benitez clearly gets the best out of him they know each other from their time at Newcastle and Townsend's producing it on the pitch I think and he's he's indicative of their recruitment over the summer. It was very low key, not what they've you know very different to how they've been spending their money the previous three seasons. Um, but yeah, Benitez just proven again that he's a class manager in my eyes, and I think he's yeah like we said, like Matt said, working at uh, working at that level, but getting the best out of every single player, which is not you know can't say that for 
few of the managers in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, they've they've been really yeah, they've been really impressive against teams that they should beat. But last season they weren't beating those teams, so you can only give them praise, really. Yeah, that's uh, six defense, uh, six defeats on the spin for Norwich now. I mean, it feels like we've already entered the the sort of territory we're in with Sheffield United last season on this podcast, where it's kind of difficult to find anything new to say about them at the moment. Um, we'll look ahead to next weekend, Matt. They're away at Burnley. Do you think they've got any hope of, of getting a result there, or are they, are they sort of doomed to another defeat? They're doomed. I say it every week, Matt. <laughs> you know, I rinse them every week, and I just yeah, it's it's getting a bit pathetic. I will also say though, on that Andros Townsend thing, in a we did a video on the One Football Channel, and I said he'd be the worst signing of the season. So I'm going to have to take that Bruno template of apology and uh, get on Andros's Twitter because I owe him a very big apology. But uh, yeah, no, for Norwich, it's just. It's week in, week out. And you know what? They're going to have a spark. They're going to have the odd game where Pookie bags a couple and you think, oh, they've won 2-1 against someone great. And then it's going to be back to normal. And I just, who, who's got the experience out of the managerial team and the players to get them out of it? But they look all, a lot worse than they did last time. Didn't exactly. They? All the, all I really the squad can't know, all they know is how to come up, get smashed and go back down. Nobody knows yeah. any different at Norwich. Well, last so I time don't, I don't see. How. Last time there was talk of them being are they the best team ever to be relegated from the Premier League. Now it's like <laughs> yeah. looking like one of the worst teams ever to be promoted yeah. in the Premier League. The way things yeah. are going, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think the fans are sort of running out of patience with Farker a little I'm bit. I'm not well, welcoming is... Norwich. I realised. I'm definitely not. <laughs> no, no, no. Your persona non grata. In Norwich, yeah. <laughs> uh, Southampton are still without a win, and they've scored just four goals this season after they were beaten one 0 at home by Wolves. Uh, that's the first time they haven't won any of their first six games since 1998-99, and a Southampton player is yet to score at St Mary's this season. Even Ralph Hasenhutl hinted after this game that he's, he's worried about where their goals are going to come from. That's very concerning for them, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, that's a huge worry for them. Um, I don't know, and that surprises me really because I know they lost to Everton on the first day of the season, but I remember thinking that Che Adams and Adam Armstrong actually linked up really well in that game and looked pretty dangerous. Um, but yeah, since then, neither of them have scored, certainly not in the Premier League. And I think of the three goals that they have scored, one's been an own goal and another one's been a penalty. So yeah, that is a big, big concern. This is going to be a huge month for them as well. They've, I mean, I know they've got Chelsea this weekend, but then after the international break, they play Leeds, Burnley and Villa at home and then Watford away. So, you know, games that right now you'd think they could get a few points out of, but yeah, if they don't get any goals in those games and just a few draws, then yeah, that's going to be a big concern. And yeah, Hasenhutl will be thinking about his job, I would have thought. Yeah, he's going to have to start coming up with some new outfits as well to try and inspire <laughs> them, isn't it? I think. <laughs> Uh, Raul Jimenez scored his first goal for Wolves since returning from that life-threatening head injury. It's uh, 336 days in total since his last Premier League goal. Um, does he look like he's, he's getting back to his old self now, Matt? And how crucial could that be for Wolves going forward with with, it, with him firing again? Massive. I, I honestly think when, I, when I've watched Wolves, especially they um, they played in the, in the League Cup against Spurs, oh my word, the first half they were terrible. <laughs> it looks like Adama Traore is the only one who's got any sort of anything about him to really turn the tide without him they lost so so having him in his back is a really big plus and back in the goals as well it's massive for him um I just think that mentally it gives Wolves a lift you know it, whether the goals come or not for him and it's just having him back in the team having you know a good reminder of what fantastic player he is can really lift the rest of the team because they definitely definitely need it they look extraordinarily flat without him or Treore in, in the side yep it's quite emotional to see him get that goal as well actually mm. really really pleased for him yeah 
Uh, Brighton missed the chance to go top of the league on Monday night, but they did rescue a point away at rivals Crystal Palace, courtesy of a 95th minute Neil Malpe equaliser. Ruined my match report. Thank you, Neil. <laughs> uh, that's uh, four goals for Malpe already this season. This was a really brilliant finish. Does he look like he's, he's moved up a level to you a bit this season, Alex? I think he has. I think... I think the whole team's sort of moved off a level, to be honest, and that says everything about Graham Potter's coaching. I've said before, next England manager. Um, but yeah, I thought they didn't even play particularly well today, but they just kept plugging away right into the final whistle. And then just the one chance he managed to get in behind. I'm not sure what Gray was doing for defending, to be honest, but um, yeah, the way, just the way he finished and yeah, just taking it early, putting it over the goalkeeper, it was really brilliant finish. And yeah, Brighton, they're a proper team. Really, really like Brighton. Yeah. yeah, really, really good team. Your mate Danny Welbeck got injured again, Matt. Oh, who saw that coming in? Eh? What a nightmare. <laughs> uh, Palace's goal was scored by Wilfred Zahar from the penalty spot on his 400th appearance for the club. Um, he almost seems to have kind of given up on trying to get a move away now, Matt. Do you think maybe he's perhaps better off where he is at this point in his career? Maybe finish his career at Palace now? It's really 400? Yeah. God, wow. Yeah, that's a long time. Um, yeah, you'd probably think so. I, I think so, uh, at some point you kind of go past the uh, the prime opportunity to leave, don't you? Yeah. And the, the problem is that what he's worth to Palace isn't really what another team is going to pay for him. I know they've been holding out for 60, 70 million in some transfer windows, mm. which I'm not quite sure he's worth. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm struggling to see any sort of top team or he wants to step into the Champions League that's going to pay that kind of money for him. So maybe he is better off where he is. I think I think Palace have done, you know, not, not such a bad job recently. I think if they're going to give Vieira time, going to give some of their new signings time, they could they could be a really good team. Maybe not Champions League or Europa League challenging, but certainly better than what they've been, which is surviving. You know, just about not really threatening anything in the top half. But the, the thought of him linking up with the likes of you know Ebrecheze as well, especially. There's a reason why they can't go on and be a better side. Yeah, they should have won this game. I was, Jordan Ayo had a yeah. great chance to yeah. see it. Oh, he missed did. it. Yeah. I was really worried for them over the summer because they had about 15 players out of contract. And it just, I don't know, that sort of from the outside looking in seemed like that that's badly run club. They're letting that many people go for free and not offering contracts. But I don't know, the Vieira um, appointment seems to have worked pretty well so far. Um, and I really like Conor Gallagher in oh, central midfield. Yeah. Brilliant. I yeah, think he's brilliant. a brilliant player. So, yeah, no, Palace are, yeah, things are looking up for them. Definitely. Well, Edward's a good signing as well. A front three yeah, of Edward, exactly, yeah. AZ and Zaha. Yeah. It's not a bad front three, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying how much I like... I was saying how much I like Leandro Trossard this week. I think you can fire like Shola Barge under naive for the penalty <laughs> yeah. in this game, can't you? Yeah. What, what were you thinking, mate? Yeah, yeah that was a bit silly. <laughs> uh, finally, we come to Vicarage Road in a game which also finished 1-1 between Watford and Newcastle. Uh, Ozan Tufan made his Premier League debut for Watford as a half-time substitute in this game and looked pretty lively for them. They got him in a season-long loan from Fenerbahce. Do you think sprucing up that rather stale-looking midfield is, is, is what they're going to have to do to survive, Alex? Yeah, I think Watford have been they've been a pretty decent counter-attacking team under Cisco. So trying to get a sort of foothold in midfield is key for them really. They yeah, they look pretty good in both boxes. I really like Tristy Kong and Cathard at centre back and then Saar and King leading the line is I mean I really like Saar, King less so, but they look pretty decent going forward. But yeah, it's just that midfield three that started on Saturday, Sissoko, Kuka and Cleverly, that doesn't look great. So yeah, I think Tufan coming on, he he looks like he's can only improve them in midfield. So um yeah, this was a really good game actually. It was last on match of the day, which is never a good thing, never a good sign, but this is actually a really entertaining game. So no. So it's um, yeah, I don't 
don't mind Watford. I think they've still got a lot of improving to do, but they could they could just about survive, I think, come the end of the season. Yeah, Newcastle are actually pretty entertaining to watch nowadays, aren't they? They perhaps should have won this one themselves. They had a great chance to seal it with their Jacob Murphy missing that chance. Um, still no wins for them this season, but yeah, they, they did play not too badly here by all accounts. Do you think it might be possible that they, they might be okay when Callum Wilson comes back, Matt? Um, yeah, if you think Wilson can, you know, take those one or two chances that they're missing. Sounds reasonable to think they'll be okay, but I, I really do worry about Steve Bruce and uh, and Newcastle as a whole. I just wonder whether or not, eventually, after years of sort of keeping them relatively safe from relegation, that it's going to come crashing down at some point, and maybe this is the year. I think regardless of whether or not Wilson they are actually one of my tips to go down mm. there was some chat today that Mike Ashley is quite happy with the job Steve Bruce is doing actually and has no plans to change things so <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that'll go down well on Tyneside won't it <laughs> Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks to Alex and Matt for joining me and thank you to you all for tuning in as usual. We'll be back next week to discuss Liverpool v Man City, Man United v Everton and every other match taking place in the Premier League as usual. So we'll see you then.